Welcome to Nothing But The Truth with me, Elizabeth Bowden. I'm a barrister at College Chambers in Southampton. This episode is your guide to getting the very best out of your barrister, whether you're a solicitor, a direct access client, or you simply have a barrister in your personal life. Zoe and I are going to explore how you get the very best out of them. So yes, I'm Zoe Hanson. I am the podcast lady. I will be helping things along in this episode, in this fascinating world of law and being a barrister. So Elizabeth, let's start with your professional clients. How do they get the most from their barrister? And who are we talking about here? So for my professional clients, I would have solicitors in my head for that role. So if I was going to say to a solicitor, here are my five top tips to get the most bang for your buck out of a barrister that you're paying to do a job, those tips would be give them all of the information that they need. That sounds like a crazy thing to say, because why would you ask someone to do a job and not give them all of the information? But it's quite often that I'll get a set of papers and a key document is missing or, you know, a key piece of updating information has not been put in. So if you want me to sit down and start working straight away, give me all of the information. So that's tip number one. So this is, you know, a solicitor comes and instructs you and then they only give you, you no know, half of the case papers or you're missing something really important. Have you had this before where you're, you're sort of going through something or you're working on a case and you think, hang on, there's a big chunk of this missing? I think it was only last week I got instructed to go to an enforcement hearing. So in this case, a husband had been ordered by the court to pay spousal periodical payments. So you might think of that as wife maintenance. And he'd stopped paying without seemingly any reason. So the wife had issued an enforcement application. So we have to go along to court and explain why it is that the husband is not paying. So my instructions are, he can't pay, he can't afford it any longer. But in that set of papers, there's no information for me about why it is that he can't afford it. Okay. So me turning up to court without that information means I have to have a quite long and complicated financial discussion with my client about the financial landscape. So that puts me on the back foot. The other problem with the application is the husband has not made an application to downward vary or there's nothing in my papers to say he's actually made his own application to the court say, I cannot afford to pay. So at the enforcement hearing, the the court's going to go, well, there's a valid order in place and you owe your wife this amount of money. Mm -hmm. This is how it's going to be repaid and and look into the options for that. So if they're in a salary job, they can, you know, take it from the salary before it goes to the husband. If there's money in the bank account, they can make a third party debt order and, and get it out of the bank account. But if he has, the husband hasn't made an application to downward vary, it's very difficult then to stop the court enforcing the valid order. And you think that's perfectly reasonable. There's a valid order. So getting a set of papers for enforcement and being told that the husband's not paying because he can't pay, not being given the information about the finances and not being told whether or not an application to downward vary has been made, whether it's been issued, which court it's gone to, have we got a date for it? It's quite key information that didn't come across in my papers. And anyone listening to this will go, well, the, you know, whoever sent you those papers must be, you know, that's, that's a really rubbish job. Yeah. But you also have to remember that the solicitor dealing with it is dealing with one of a, you know, a number of cases and that information's in that solicitor's head. And we're all capable of human of sending off a piece of paper and thinking you've put down on it what is in your head. Of course. But someone picks it up and they're like, oh, I, 
there's some bits missing here, what happens? So yes, my number one top tip is giving them all of the information. If it happens, we all understand why. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, if you then get you know, 14 questions back from the barrister, it, we don't mean to be rude. We yeah. really don't. We just really well, need just, the information. And you're, and you're just trying to do the best job that you can possibly do and be across everything. So give them all of the information, right? Yeah. And give it to them in an organised fashion. So I've said before, I think in the olden days, you'd get a set of papers. It would be a physical set of papers. And on the front section, you would have your set of instructions. And then behind it, you would have the various enclosures. So they would go enclosure one, and then you go to divider one, and there would be all the enclosures. Then it would say enclosure two, and you go to divider two, and there would be all the enclosures there. Now, because we live in this world of PDFs and technology, I will sometimes get a set of instructions and it says enclosure one is the correspondence. You think, brilliant. And then I go and look at the attachment files yeah. and there's nothing there that's called correspondence. <laughs> that's called like printer scan from, you know, 2203, whatever. And I'm like, okay, now I have to go and open up all of these attachments to work out what enclosure I'm supposed to have, yeah. cross-reference it with the enclosure list, rename them all, see if I'm missing any enclosures. And then that's like two hours of my time that's just lost in organising these papers. And it's, t it's difficult for solicitors because they don't have a process or a protocol that the solicitors, the law society sends out and go, this is how you send out an electronic brief. And then equally, you get barristers who like to receive things in different ways. Right. I just need somebody to say, this is how we're going to do it. And then everyone do it. You know, I, I would really like to get everything in one PDF. So when I open it up, I know exactly how many pages I've got to read. <laughs> that's good. So now can, I can plan my time and go, okay, that's a 400 page set of papers that I need to read. I'll block out, you know, this afternoon to do it. And then whatever morning to do the drafting, if I have to do the drafting. But if I, uh, sometimes I'll get a, a set of instructions and there's 20 odd attachments. Right. And I say odd because some are PDF, some are Word, and some are emails. And then you go, okay, right. So I've got to convert all of the easy emails to PDFs. I can convert all of the Word documents to PDF so I can create my own bundle that I can then work with and put bookmarks in and highlight and add comments. And then you start opening up the emails. <laughs> and then in the emails is more emails. Oh my gosh. Those nested ones drive me slightly crackers. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, oh. and it becomes a situation where you think, okay, this is going to be roulette now. So you've converted everything you need to PDF. You've renamed everything. So when you create one PDF document, it all goes in the right order. And you create it. And then it's like, you know, you're one-armed bandits and you've got the, the numbers that all go. You're like, where is it going to end? I've done it before. I think, yeah, my clerks have gone, oh, they say it's not very many papers. And of course. I, and I do the one-armed bandit on the PDF creator and, it's, and it finishes at 900 pages. And you think... <laughs> What? How did that happen? Because oh those solicitors have literally sent me all of the information, yeah. which is not necessarily all the information I need. There's, there's no filtering process and that goes on. there's extra in there as well. So you have to trawl through pages and pages and pages of these things and the same reply to the same email 56 uh, yeah. times <laughs> to get to where you want to be. I get it. Look, we've all, we all go through this all of the time, but actually... To do the best job as a barrister, you need to be able to find the information and find it quickly to be able to build the case, I'm sure. Yeah, and, it's, and it becomes a mindset thing as well. So I'll get a set of papers from a solicitor 
And I know in my head that solicitor would have sent me a beautiful set of papers. It's a single PDF. The bookmarks refer to the actual enclosure that it is. Everything is supposed to be in there. I have a clear set of instructions. And we've only got two on my list, but they've ticked off all of my five top tips. And I open it up and I'm ready to go. And I know I, I open it up like ready, willing and able. And that solicitor then gets 110% from me because I'm so grateful yes. for being able to just get on with my job. Whereas I get some other solicitors who send me a brief of utter chaos yeah and they've done it to me before so I get a brief from them and I open up kind of like like a jack-in-the-box just waiting for what the explosion's <laughs> going to be and and I start in the wrong mindset because I'm like right now I have to spend x number of hours just organizing this well it's which just makes me admin I totally get it in fact it's making me sweat hearing about this you know it stresses you out in the first place so in the olden days where you've physically got a set of papers and the solicitor had to physically do the photocopying and physically put it in the post. There was quite an incentive to make sure council got key documents. They got yeah. what they needed, but not too much. Whereas now, because it's in a PDF, they're like, oh, sod it, we'll just send council the entirety of the correspondence <laughs> file. And I'm like, really? Now I've got like, as you say, 20 emails that tell me the same thing because it's each each email is printed out, even though it contains the whole same email chain. Yes. And and you and that's and you open it up and the one on bandit goes, yeah, you've got 900 pages. And I just go, oh, I'm going to go and get a cup of coffee before I start this. <laughs> Take a deep breath. It's going to be painful. What's the next tip then? Get the most out of your barrister. Tip three. Tell them what you want. What you really, really want. <laughs> what you really, really want. Uh, my pet hate is uh, councils ask for advice generally. What do you mean? Just, you know, read the papers and just generally advise. When you say, what do you mean? But that's, that's what I think when I read them. Like, but you must have a specific question that you right. want answered. Even if you're like, can you think about A, B and C? And then if you've got any other good ideas, let us know. That I can cope with. But as a solicitor, as a professional, you know, they've all been to university. They're all intelligent people. They know, they, they must have some ideas of their own or some questions of their own. Yeah. Put it down. Tell me what it is that you want. You've, you've instructed me to do this. Yes. There must be a reason. So tell me. Don't just do a whole advice generally. Because I could advise on, I mean, I could go down a rabbit warren of interesting case law, which is no help to anybody. And so it needs to be much more specific, what do you want me to do? Why do you want me to do it? And uh, what do you want the outcome to be, I suppose? That's it, isn't it? Yeah. And that sounds like I'm front-loading all of the work onto the solicitors. But the reality is the solicitor then gets back what they want. Yes. So they don't open it up and go, why have I got 25 pages of counsel's advice? This okay. is madness. I don't have time to read 25 pages. Honestly, I probably didn't have time to write 25 pages of counsel's advice. But because they haven't told me what they want, I then have to answer every possible question I think they might be asking. Yeah. So they get this monstrous advice in, in return, which is, well, this could happen or this could happen. But if A happens, then B happens. But if B happens, it won't necessarily lead to C unless these particular things happen. And the solicitor's lost the will to live by the time they get to <laughs> end of it. And what they just really wanted to know was X. Yeah. Do you have an example of, you know, when something like this has come through and, and, and what kind of cases you've worked on where this has happened? Probably they fall into my civil category more, where a solicitor feels that a client's got a particular claim and they want to know how best to approach it. And whether it's best to go X strategy or Y strategy, so whether you're going to pursue something as a debt or if it happens to fall under some other head of loss, some kind of unjust enrichment, you know, those sorts of things. 
But most solicitors that have an idea of what the sort of the fundamental principles of law are. So having had the conversations with the clients directly, which the sisters would have had, they get a much deeper understanding from their clients and much deeper than can be passed on to me in a set of instructions. Yeah. So they must have an idea where they think that it's going or they've probably got an idea of what they think the key documents are or the key issue or the key problem sometimes. Or is this really a problem? What What do you think? And it's just a case of identifying that. So don't throw some papers at me and going, what's my claim here? And uh, They need to decide that before they come to you, right? They don't necessarily need to decide it, but they can say, we've spoken to the client, they flagged up these bits and pieces. You know, when we sat in conference, you know, the solicitor and the client, we, you know, we talked about these possibilities. Can counsel advise on these possibilities? Or if counsel's got a better idea of how we should go ahead. Because if they haven't given me the heads up to where their, their thinking is, yeah. the advice that I write won't necessarily deal with where their thinking is. And then I deliver a document back to them that doesn't answer their questions. Uh-huh. And th- I mean, this is sort of, you know, this is life, isn't it? If you ask too broad a question, you don't get a very specific answer coming back, do you? No. You know, it's our own fault as lawyers, because if a solicitor writes on their advice generally, they've covered off everything, haven't they? Yeah. They haven't said, <laughs> advise me about X. So uh-huh. I advise them about that, but I don't warn them about why. And then why happens? And then, you know, someone gets in professional trouble or they've made a mistake or you know a client is cross so if they say advice generally it covers off everything but I'm going if you're going to give me an advice generally just give me some pointers so I can definitely make sure I'm answering the particular question that you might have in your mind okay so point four Elizabeth give your barrister time in a lot of solicitors' minds, and actually in a lot of my lay clients' minds, they think we're just magicians and that somehow we can magically touch a set of papers. And <laughs> if it's a one-armed bandit 900 or a fairly reasonable 150 pages, that we will know everything that is in those papers the moment that we've touched them or opened them. When you're talking about, you know, you've got 900 pages in a document or in a case or 150 pages... How do you take in that information anyway? I thought about that the other day and I read fast. I think if I go on holiday with my husband, I read four books to his every one and he accuses me of scanning it. I don't think I scan it, but I read fast and I take in information and I'll be making notes as I go. Right. So if I've received a good set of instructions then I'm reading the papers with the questions in my mind. Yes. So I can, which is another reason why, tell them what you uh-huh. want. Because <laughs> if you then give me 900 pages, I'm going to be able to get through them much more quickly and efficiently. So I'll read the papers with it in my mind about what it is that I'm looking for. I personally, I bookmark to the millionth degree. If you open up any of the PDF briefs that I work on, there's about 4 million bookmarks. I mean, I love Adobe. I colour code my bookmarks. It's excellent. <laughs> so I bookmark, I make notes. I use OneNote. OneNote is amazing because because I can screen grab from a PDF and put it into my OneNote and, and you know, cross-reference to documents. So that's how I do it. But it's a definite skill of a barrister that reading vast amounts fast and taking it in and analysing it at the same time. And it's a skill that you get obviously more efficient at and some areas require more of it than others. Care practitioners always get monstrously large briefs. I think their idea of a small one would probably be 500 pages. Wow. That's my idea of a sort of a medium to large one. 900 I do perceive to be monstrous. But yeah, my my take on what's a large or small amount of papers to read is totally skewed and it's got worse since COVID because <laughs> everyone just sends everything in PDF. If I opened up a brief now and it said 100 pages, I'll have a small party because that's like easy. 
But wow. if I said to my kids, I'm just going to sit down and read these hundred pages, you know, and, and they had to open up a hundred pages for their schoolwork, their minds would be broken. And and so this is why solicitors need to give you time to sort of absorb the information and work out how to build that case, I suppose. Yeah. And there's a weird phenomenon. And, and I say this having solicitors who are friends, solicitors um, that I've known for a very long time, you know, they're my running buddies. And they'd be like, yeah, it's amazing. I'll send a brief to counsel at like five o'clock on the day and they've got a hearing and you know, they rock up to the hearing and they know everything. And I'm like, you do know that barristers had to work into the night for that. Uh, right. And it's just this like they yeah. get it off their desk and they <laughs> think it's done and counsel rocks up and it's amazing. And it's that. So give them time. If you don't want to get your work for the next day at five o'clock, don't do it to counsel. I, I give it with a massive caveat. Things go wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, lay clients can cause problems and delays. These things happen. We totally get that. But don't think it just don't, don't it's not okay just to give it to counsel the day before, particularly as the judge is expecting a note from us. Then we have to write right. a note that, you know, and again, and I reiterate, we don't have secretaries. We do all that typing's our own. And so any, you know, that's me working late at night trying to type a note for the judge that's then not got typos in it that, you know, makes sense. And yeah, just give us time. We will work hard if something's gone wrong. But don't use up that, oh, it sounds really aggressive. I say don't use up that goodwill. Um, no, but I get it. I get it. You know, it, it, the, the more time you are given, the more you can get your head around the case and you can build for the correct, specific question. Yeah. But then that is converse with my tip number five, mm-hmm. which is give us a deadline <laughs> because <laughs> we are the kings and queens of procrastination because we're self-employed and we find ourselves in chambers and we'll chat with our friends. So if you haven't given us our deadline, it becomes really easy to go, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Okay. And I have to have deadlines. Did you do this at school? Were you doing your homework the morning that it had to be in? No, I'm professionally lazy, which means I do my work when I get it, because that's the quickest and most efficient way of doing it. Catching up is pigging nightmare. I said, no, it's something about barristers and deadlines. I think it's because other stuff comes in. Yeah. So I might have a piece of paperwork that's like, oh, get to it when you can. There's no, there's no major hurry. And then I get briefed in a trial and I got to prep for two days and I'm in court for two days and then I'm knackered and, you know, I go out for a cup of coffee and then someone else's piece of paperwork comes in, but there's a limitation deadline. So I've got to do that first. And the one without a deadline, it just, it's easier to push it down the road. Yeah. So when I'm making my lists of when I need to do stuff or blocking out time to prep something, it's the one that kind of is allowed to slip. You know, I know I've got to do it and, you know, I feel guilty about slipping it, but something else has got a deadline that's trumping it. So, because it doesn't have a deadline. Whereas if you've <laughs> given me a deadline, I've got to work to the deadline. So there's the five tips, right? Getting the most from your barrister. We sort of touched on, you know, timings, deadlines, all of these things. And you mentioned about don't give us the papers the day before this is going to court. It strikes me that being a barrister is not a job. It's a life. I think it's definitely a life, which is why... It's important for those people in your personal life to understand what it's like having a barrister in your life. So on a very basic level, we're all members of Chambers. So already that sounds like we're part of a secret club, doesn't it? Yes. And it's it really... is some sort of cult. <laughs> it is. And, it, and it's quite... Especially when you all come in with your capes on as well, right? <laughs> we should do that on mass, shouldn't we? Um, 
And because because we're all self-employed, if we have to do extra stuff, it's always out of hours. Mm-hmm. And so if we have to go and meet solicitors, it's, you know, it tends to, you know, I might throw in a coffee or a lunch, but it's often an evening dues to do our own CPD. We often put the events on on weekends. So like, like the family door bar association conference is on a weekend. So that's the whole Saturday I spend in Bristol. If I need to do anything with the inn, it's usually out of hours and it's in London. So you have your chambers life, which feels very exclusive and sort of not really a world that most other people can understand and we've gone over the crazy language that we have yeah but then to get the extra bits of your job done that we all have to do that feeds into out of business hours which then feeds into and takes away from your home life so as a profession it's really difficult to balance home and work and you get a bunch of barristers in a room and they all sit around crowing about their, you know, humorous case stories and this happened and the other happened and were you in front of judge whatever? And, oh, I was against so-and-so the other day. Did you hear? I mean, barristers are it, huge gossips um, <laughs> because, because, you know, we sit around and when we're at court, there's often quite a lot of waiting around time. So we just chit chat. Yeah, that's what people do. Of that's, course. You know find out who's who's moved set who hasn't moved set you know which clerk has retired or not you know all that sort of stuff so there's a whole language that it feels like your family can't get involved with there's a whole place of work your family can't get involved with you know we're behind numbers there's a whole gdpr thing you know they, of course you know, they can't just roam free in chambers i suppose you get home and you one of your family says to you how was your day what did you get up to and you say well i can't tell you <laughs> well you either go well i can't tell you or you anonymize it so you tell a hilarious story you know often in the first person i did this i did the other and they get thoroughly confused because apparently you've crashed your car and you're like no no not me the case that i was doing i crashed my, and they were like oh, okay yeah you're doing the funny thing with the language again or you go oh my god I was in court and they tried to argue this and I argued the other and I remembered this case or I pulled this you know CPR rule out of my back pocket and you know I won they glazed over it I went to court (laughs) (laughs) because after that it's just in a language that they don't understand and I mean why would anybody get excited that you'd remembered a CPR rule or you know you'd be having a quick Google I thought that was when somebody had a heart attack right I mean that's just when it's really gone wrong in court (laughs) (laughs) you know but I will tell humorous stories I don't think they find them as humorous as I do which is why when you get a bunch of barristers together we all tell humorous stories and roll around laughing and it it feels really cliquey and I think that's quite difficult to get your head round you know, oh my God, another aspect is that to run chambers, that's done out of hours. You know, if we have, you know, our monthly management meetings, yeah. that's at five o'clock. You know, of course it is, because of, <laughs> everything's going on all the rest of the time. The clerks are working, the barristers are in court, you know, and then because we're a bunch of barristers sitting around having discussions about things, that goes on, you know, for flipping ever as far as anyone in my family is concerned. I mean, luckily we can do them remotely now before, before we had to come into chambers for them. So all hail teams as far as I'm concerned in relation to that. And then the once a year AGM where we set the budget, everyone comes into chambers uh, that's gone on till 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night before. Some chambers do those on a Saturday. So there's this whole aspect that it's definitely a vocation. Yes. So anyone in your life, whether it's your parent or your child or your partner or your spouse or your sibling, you know, or your friends, they get used to the fact that you have this crazy life. It's marginally chaotic. Plans change at the last minute. You're like, yeah, sure, I can see you on Thursday. I'm not in court. Call them up to, you know, a day later. Yeah, I'm in court now. I'm going to have to cancel. Or yeah, sure, I can be with you by six. Whatever happens at court, the court runs late. And you're like, yeah, I'm on the way, but I'm going to be 20 minutes late. And I know where I'm going out to dinner at the local pub, but I'm going to have to rock up in my work clothes. So 
So okay. sorry about that. And to a degree, they, they roll with it because there are good things and bad things that come from having a barrister in your life. I mean, the hilarious stories obviously have got to be number one on the good list. Yeah. Um, although I think my husband would put the fact that I have every parking app known to man on the good list. So we rock up anywhere and I can just sort out the parking. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I think he takes that as the best. <laughs> I wonder how it must be living with a barrister because apart from having to to be very fluid with your life and your arrangements it must be a nightmare if there's an argument going on yeah i get that a lot you know living with you must be a nightmare you know you argue for a living so if i if i look at it vaguely chronologically i don't argue with my kids i say present me with a reasonable argument i'll listen hilarious um, my kids have presented me powerpoints before on why they should be allowed to do something because they know that's the best approach <laughs> to dealing with it um, make sure those papers are in order and you've got the whole case set out right and i take great pleasure in saying that um so they've asked me to if they can do something and i've either said yay or nay um and they don't like my decision and i say oh, i've made a ruling on that <laughs> <laughs> Um, there is an appeals process, but you need to present me with a reasonable argument. <laughs> so they roll their eyes at me. But I hope what they take from that is that I will, I'm very happy to reconsider if I've misunderstood something, got it wrong, something's changed. It was only they wanted something different for dinner. I know. <laughs> so that's hilarious. I think it's less hilarious when you're actually in an argument. I say that like it's a bad thing. I, you know, I do, I enjoy discussing things. Yes. I enjoy, uh, you know, doing it from either side and arguing sounds like it's a really aggressive thing. But in my job, it's not because it's not personal. No one gets personal. And if they do, it's, well, it would be very weird and professionally, probably not a clever idea. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have a barrister in your life, yes, you are going to find arguing with them frustrating. There's there's no bones about that. But actually, you've got an opportunity to get a masterclass in arguing. Okay. They can treat you and you know train you how to do this. And it drives my kids nuts because I'll be like, yeah, that wasn't a very good point. Your better point <laughs> would have been this. And they're like, okay, well, I'm taking the better point. I'm going, okay, that's fine. We can we can go with that. Or they're starting to get cross and they'll throw out a, you know, an insult or something. I'm like, that's not really very helpful, is it? And how's that going to resolve this issue? Wow. Gonna, and then they're like, oh, because I don't, I don't get involved because I because so your emotions to, are not in there, are they? They are just the evidence and the practicalities going on here. Yeah, because in my head, and you know, years of training later, that me getting emotional about this, it's not going to help anybody. So that's just gone for me. You know, having a discussion or an argument, whether it's a fierce one or a strong one, it doesn't get emotional. And if I find myself getting emotional and bothered about it, I'm like, let's come back to this later. Because for me, they're in two entirely separate things. And it must be that your family have got used to this and they understand how that works now. And like you say, it must be a masterclass. And actually, you know, your children, you know, maybe when they come up against some conflict somewhere, they use these skills that they've learned from you, Elizabeth. Well, I hope so. I mean, a lot of our job is communication and understanding how other people communicate. So I hope that they get that from me. And I'll be often saying, look, I can see that you're really upset about this, but there's no point in having this conversation while you are upset. Yes. So go and work out or, you know, I'll help you work out why it is that you're upset. And then we can move on to the next bit, which is solving the problem. Or you, you explain to me why this thing is so important to you. And then I can make sure I understand it properly. And then we can go from there. And I think that aspect of understanding that communication happens differently from different people at different mm -hmm. times and that you don't have to solve the problem 
immediately that sometimes taking a step back and taking a break and you know coming back to it is important to understand that so yes I might go to court and you know I've got to go to court we're on at 10 30 we're going to have to deal with the submissions but the other aspect of my job mediation or alternative dispute resolution it's much more about understanding people and resolving conflict in a way that individuals can resolve it not how barristers resolve it because don't forget as a barrister I never have to make a decision that's not my job I just go and argue my point Someone else makes a decision. Okay, okay. <laughs> Which would be really nice if you could do that in your home life, couldn't you? <laughs> but you have to reach that, you know, together, you know, with your child or your sibling or your spouse. You have to reach that decision together because you don't have a judge to make a ruling. Unless, of course, it's me or my children, then I've, I've made the ruling. <laughs> <laughs> Living with a barrister or having a barrister in your life, I suppose at some points it could be quite frustrating because you know that they are going to argue and argue well. But what are the other good bits you've said about parking apps? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So there are lots of other good bits. And actually, if you approach your barrister, your own in-your-pocket barrister, with those same five points that we went through before, they've got a lot to give to you. And don't forget, you've got an intelligent professional in your your life. They can help you with numerous things because every barrister's had to, you know, do contract law. They can help you read your contracts, whether that's a child or a teenager going off to uni and a new rental contract they can explain those things to you I was explaining oh, interest rates and the such like to my daughter uh, only yesterday amazing um, and banking and you know that she you know to get the interest rates she wanted she had to take the terms and conditions and then we're like what are the terms and conditions I'm like these are terms and conditions these are how terms and conditions work so there's a whole level of education you can get from having that barrister in your life they will go and find the answers you remember I said but well many a podcast ago that we're fixers so if you yes. give us a problem we'll find the answer. So we will go and look it up. We'll research it. So I say I have all the parking apps. I also have the parking tickets from every possible parking (laughs) enforcement agency, which means I'm really good at parking appeals. And there are a lot of barristers out there who are really good at parking appeals. So (laughs) you've immediately got that option. You know, if you're going to appeal something, just in case, you know, and in life, they can talk you through the big changes that happen in your life. If your friendly barrister is in, you know, works in family law, they can help you. They're not going to do it for you but they'll guide you and set you in the right place and get the right information in relation to what happens if you know your relationship breaks down or you know someone's died and there's a will and you know can you explain the process to me and what the heck is probate you know all those sorts of things so you have a complete sort of legal encyclopedia in your life that you can use so totally get the most out of that barrister in your life yeah the arguing is annoying that uh, they will teach you how to do it really well but they've got this wealth of information that's available for you to tap into for free I love that And I think it's very important that everybody in life should have a barrister and a mechanic in their sort of circle. (laughs) Imagine if you're a barrister mechanic. Ooh. You'd be winning at life. Yeah, exactly that, right? There's a couple needing to happen right there. (laughs) So there you go. Wherever you are coming from, getting the most from your barrister is all about getting organised giving them time and giving them all the information and a deadline and a deadline there we go so however you've acquired your barrister you now know how to get 110 percent out of them and make the very best of having them in your life thank you so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe to nothing but the truth with elizabeth bowden